I think the longevity of it is is at the forefront. You know, it's when I came into the league, it was a little more common to have guys play ten or plus years. Uh, but since you know the the game has gotten younger, you know it's cheaper for younger players. So now to get to a decade in in the NFL is, is tough, especially when you're dealing with injuries. Um, and so, so really, you know, playing 13 years, that means that one, I'm talented enough to still be in this league. Uh, but two, yeah, you know, I've, I've stayed healthy enough to, to stay in it. Um, and so I think, you know, those are the two things that stand out just when you see 13, but I also think when you turn on the tape over those 13 years, it's been a lot of plays made, a lot of things accomplished. New Orleans Saints safety Malcolm Jenkins is on the podcast, but he's more than just a football player. I know we've heard that before. It is not cliche. He is a philanthropist. He is an activist who is activated. And more importantly, he's an all around good guy. Stick around for Naked. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, Peanut Butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of Peanut Butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Listen up, NBA fans. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app and sign up using code TBE. Select between two and six NBA players and choose if they'll have more or less of a stat. Track your picks and play against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now using code TBE and take on the competition with your best NBA player picks. Only on DraftKings Pick 6 with code TBE. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Valid only in states where DraftKings Pick 6 operates. Pick 6 not available in all states, including but not limited to Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, please visit dkng.co slash pick 6 states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com. Champions to be a champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion, a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment, connected with. 
in a world where vulnerable considered weak. Come and remove the veil from entertainment's elite. It's the difference between what is real and what the public sees. So here's your favorite celebrities behind the scenes. It's refreshing, authentic, the whole story specific. Life altering events to shape the person that you hear. We got a champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. It's the greatest in sports and entertainment connecting with us. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. Got a champion and carry champion. Hey girl, you did it. Got a champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment connecting with us. Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Naked with me, Carrie Champion. Uh, I hope you all had a good holiday, a good Thanksgiving. You were eating well, some mac and cheese. That's the only thing I really care about is mac and cheese. Uh, that is what my Thanksgiving is about. And everybody, you, everybody can't make mac and cheese. Like, those are questions you ask prior to entering a home. Who made the mac and cheese? Those memes are out for a reason. Uh, but... I digress. Prior to Thanksgiving, in fact, the day before Thanksgiving, uh, the Ahmad Aubrey verdict was delivered. All three men were found guilty. All three white men were found guilty of murdering Ahmad Aubrey uh, as he ran through their neighborhood. And this is on the heels of obviously Kyle Rittenhouse being found not guilty. Uh, and I know you all are familiar with all those cases, especially if you follow me or if you have any concept of what's going on in the world today. So I want to take a moment to talk about Ahmaud Aubrey and the justice that we were able to see. An all-white jury found three white men guilty, guilty, guilty of murdering that young boy who was running or jogging rather through their neighborhood. I don't know if you saw the video, but it's disturbing. There was a video that shows him being murdered. Modern day lynching because he was running in a neighborhood that wasn't familiar. There's also another video that's been circulating where the shooter, the actual shooter, the murderer, Travis, is his name. I'm going to make sure I get that correct because I want to make sure if I'm talking trash about you, I'm getting your name right, sir. Um, But he, Travis, suggests that he would not, Travis McMichael is his name. He would not have shot Ahmad if he would have stopped. So he's saying that if this young black boy in this all white neighborhood would have stopped when they asked him as they went chasing him with a gun, they would not have murdered him. What the hell kind of sense does that make? So you're telling me black man running from three white men who have guns to stop and then it's gonna go well i don't think so he ran because he was running for his life as he should have and the video of the police officer consoling this man after he murdered ahmaud Aubrey is nothing that surprises me but surprises me and gets me angry and yes they were all convicted the videographer the shooter and the accomplice were all convicted And I guess that's justice, right? But we're still angry because he didn't have to die. I'm all for protecting my neighborhood. I'm all for a neighborhood watch. But I'd be damned if I pull out a gun and start chasing someone down and get upset because they wouldn't stop. And as a result, they're trying to get away. And then you just start shooting. What? He had no weapon. This None of this makes sense. Racism, I saw this the other day. Racism is having the audacity to think someone should stop because you tell them to. 
<laughs> and if they don't, you get murdered. I mean, I'm making it simple and I'm laughing in a way. I'm like, this is disgusting. This is the world we live in. The privilege, the access, the the audacity of it all, the caucasity of it all really disturbs me. And um, I had to talk about it. The only way in which we will ever get to a place where there is some fair share of equity in this world is if we talk about these uncomfortable topics blatantly. A white man killed a black boy jogging in his neighborhood because he didn't look like he belonged there. Another guy videotaped it. Another guy helped catch Ahmad. And when they did, when they caught up to him and he did, he tried to fight back as anybody would, they murdered him. What? That's a modern day. What world do we live in? Black people would never, would never go to an all black neighborhood, a, a well-to-do all black neighborhood because they are there or even a working class black neighborhood. If there's a white guy jogging in their neighborhood, do you think they're going to hop in a truck and say, what are you doing here? It just doesn't even cross our minds to think that way because we are afraid of y'all. Y'all afraid of us, but we're afraid of (sighs) y'all. And so that leads me to today's podcast. Uh, Today, I interview Malcolm Jenkins. He's a good guy. I like Malcolm a lot. I covered him a lot while at ESPN. He's a football player, (laughs) as I'm sure you guys have already known that. No, maybe not. Maybe you don't know that. He's a safety in the NFL. Uh, He's had a really great career. Currently, he's playing for the Saints, um, but he played college ball at Ohio State. He was one of these guys who was all around really effective in terms of the whole package. You know, I play football. I want to change the world. I'm smart. He's a really, really, really good example of what you can do and what world you can live in if you look at a football player. They're not just, you know, one-dimensional. And that is him. He was drafted by the Saints in the first round in 2009, uh, but he also played for the Eagles. You guys know he was very, very much loved there on a chip, and he did his best. Two-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowl, first-team All-Pro in 2015. I mean, there's a lot. Jim Thorpe Award, he does it all. And the reason why it's apropos that we talk about Um, Ahmaud Aubrey, obviously because it's timely, but Malcolm Jenkins in a way makes sense because he is an activist. Now, so many times when you use that word, you may take it out of context. So I, I often correct myself. He's activated, meaning he is about change in the world. Um, at the height of all the change in the NFL around the time of Colin Kaepernick being blackballed, Malcolm was very vocal. He was working with the league. He was working with the unions, trying to see if there was something that could be done to really change the scope of of civil rights for athletes and that intersection. You know, everyone may not have agreed with his approach, but I agree with the overall outcome, which is to change the world, make sure that athletes have a voice and are seen as other, other things than just an athlete. So he has the Malcolm Jenkins Foundation, which is amazing. Um, And it does a lot in the community. He's partnered with a lot of different people. And as we discuss in this podcast, he has become, in his own right, a dynasty, if you will, in terms of a corporation. Like, he's really 
hitting spaces hard, spaces where you don't see black faces and he's trying to make a change. So if you head over to the Malcolm Jenkins Foundation page, it talks about the mission, which is to effectuate positive change in the lives of youth, particularly those in underserved communities. Charity provides resources, innovative opportunities, experiences that help the youngins succeed in life and become really successful members of society, but more specifically in their community. Malcolm has really done a lot of wonderful work especially in the areas in which he grew up and lived and worked. New Jersey, Louisiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's, he makes sure that he stresses the core values of integrity, service, community, and fiscal accountability. We get into money, y'all. We talk money with Malcolm, which I think is dope. And I know that when Ahmad Aubrey was murdered and George Floyd was murdered, Malcolm was one of the few NFL players that was very vocal. He's also one of the few where the quote unquote leadership turned to him and say, we, we, we need your assistance. Can you help us? But he keeps it really funky in the most professional way. Um, sometimes he's on CNN sharing his thoughts, which is a beautiful thing, right? Because he, again, lives in these worlds. So it's nothing but a, a privilege and a pleasure to have him on the podcast. He He's talking some real. He's talking about how athletes are considered, how they're treated. But he's also talking about the responsibility of being an athlete when you get all this money and what do you do with it? Keep it funky. My my message to you um, as I transition from Ahmaud Aubrey to Malcolm Jenkins and we listen to this podcast is to really, truly think about your power, your internal power. Malcolm has it and he's using it to to change you know, young folks' lives. I'll use it with my platform, my internal power with my platform to talk about uncomfortable things, to to also show us in a way in which shows that we are productive, positive people in the community that deserve our fair share, if not more. Listen to the podcast, enjoy it. Know that justice comes for us. It really does. And we can't give up hope. And Malcolm has done that. He's fought for justice, still fighting for justice, and he hasn't given up hope. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Naked. Athletes most of the time get put on a conveyor belt, right? And you do what the hundreds of athletes have done before you. You show up on time, you do your job, you collect your check, you go home, you don't disrupt things. And it wasn't until the Saints let me go the first time and then I became a free agent. And I had to like really think, okay, long term, uh, you know, am I good? Like, do financially, my legacy, all of these things, you know, you have to really deal with. And you start to realize that the money that we make as NFL players are, is does not create generational wealth. So it was like I wasn't financially where I wanted to be, or even stable enough to retire. You know, at the age of twenty five, I didn't. I wasn't. I hadn't really accomplished much you know, that I could put on my legacy that I wouldn't put my name on. Um, I started my foundation and stuff and, and that stuff was great, but it was really like, okay, well, what do I want to be? And if I'm going to, when I got to the Eagles, it was like, okay, this might be my last contract. If I'm going to go out here, I want to be authentically hundred percent myself. Uh, and so getting back to the East coast, getting back around my family, back around my friends, um, just allowed me to start to think differently. And, and as 
opportunities started to come, it was it just made sense that I was really prepared for a lot of those situations that came, whether it be the social justice kind of uh, situation that was going on in the NFL, my own businesses, you know, all of those had really those things fell into place. Once I changed my mind and decided, okay, I'm going to walk authentically and like whoever I am, um, you know, from here on out. I think it was the best thing that happened for, for me on the field and off the field. It was, it was one of those things on the field. I got to a team that really, I think, valued specifically my skill set and put me in position to, to really, that's when my career really took off uh, on the field. Uh, it was a bigger media market. Philadelphia is one of the biggest media markets in the country, whereas New Orleans is a little bit, you know, a little bit smaller. You know, things go under the radar here. And Philly is just, platform is, is elevated. Um and then again, I think being around the support that I got being in that city and just at that time uh, was ripe for then, you know, all of the things that have happened off the field uh, with, you know, with my name. Malcolm was very clear, or at least he was able to understand early on in his career that athletes are machines in the sense that uh, they come, they play, they leave, they go home. Very rarely do you hear, especially early on in your career, about delving into different avenues as an athlete, doing different things with this platform that can make you money, right? And that can also help enhance the community around you. And and last but not least, and this is arguably the most important part for me, is to make sure you hold the door open and give back. Uh, Malcolm was really clear about how he would do that once he realized that this little bit of money or what seemed at the time like a lot of money as an athlete wasn't going to really keep him, his family, and his community sustainable. There was more. There was more. And why not go for more? Yeah, it was that very moment. I just did some simple math, right? I was uh, probably 25, 26 years old. uh, And I'm like, okay, I've got $5 million in the bank. Most, like growing up, somebody told me I was going to have $5 million in the bank. I'm like, I'm set for life. And you start to realize, okay, well, I don't have to, you know, the, the, what people used to say is like, you never have work a day in your life, right? And you start to think, well, I'm only 25. <laughs> so for the rest of my life, what, what, am I, like, what budget would I need to keep in order to make that $5 million stretch? And it's like, you got to live at like $250,000 a year. I, I got kids. That's not going to work. I like that, you know, and then so the more you hike your budget up, the shorter lifespan that that has. And, it's, and you start to realize that people who who make money, who have those generational wealth, they aren't they aren't living off of what they acquired through labor. They take what they do in labor and they flip it. And so it's and so players, like you said, when they retire, you hear them say the same stuff. Ah, I miss those checks. Well, it's like the 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 solution then isn't to try to play football for as long as you can. The, the, the solution, right, is to figure out how to get those kind of checks to come in. So it's like that changed my mind. And, and honestly, one of my best friends, uh, who's now the CFO of my entire kind of business operation, um, really sat down. She's a, a auditor by trade. So she just business and, and numbers is her thing. And I remember sitting down in my living room and she told me one day, We're, you're going to make more money. I'm going to make you more money off the field in business than you've ever made on the field. And I laughed in her face because this is before I could really like even fathom something like that. And now it's to the point where we're doing those things and you're starting to see those things come to fruition and how 
you can actually create generational wealth now by using the talent that that we have, the, this capital that we're able to, to to accumulate really, really quick. It's like, well, then how do you flip that into something much larger that lasts more, way beyond just you and your immediate family, but, you know, your entire ecosystem? Yeah, I think everything that I've learned in business and investing, you know, I'm trying to take that education, not only give it to my peers, but then I'm rolling it up into my foundation's efforts to make sure financial literacy and, and things like that are getting to our children younger. So from a foundation standpoint, we've, we have, uh, like I said, fi- uh, financial literacy programs. We've opened b- a thousand bank accounts uh, for children um, in multiple cities that, that I lived in, um, knowing that starting savings accounts early on, you know, is like six times more likely that there'll be investors by the age of 25 and X, Y, and Z. But my journey, you know, really, the first stable business model we took was uh, franchising. Uh, so we, we started with, you know, with some of that um, and learned that world and realizing, okay, not only can we own multiple quick service restaurants uh, through Disrupt Food, which is our, our holding company, but we, those, those areas that, that those stores are in are in our communities, which means that we are employing people who look like us. We have about 12 Papa John's right now. We're expanding um, or dealing to do 30 uh, in the next couple of years. And so that was kind of the first ring. And then it's like, okay, that, that is stable. And we start to look at fashion. You know, I have my own uh, fashion company, Damari, uh, that we do custom suits. And then we started to look at, well, so there's these aspirational things. And then there's just good business, real estate, franchising, venture capital investing. Those things are all you're just normal things. And as athletes, most people want us in their deals. And so as we look, I, I got in linked up with a guy by the name of Rashawn Williams, who's advised, you know, many black celebrities and athletes in investing in venture capital space. He's the one who got Nas to start up uh, Queensbridge Ventures and made Nas way more money in, investing than he ever made rapping. And so myself and Rolando went to his house in Atlanta and he kind of just broke down, you know, this thing. And what he does is he, he he manages people with way more money than than I have, but he'll cut out a couple you know million dollars for his friends and, and close network. And so what we did then is say, well, fine. I know that is there's a ton of athletes and peers like me who want access to these deals, but don't know where to go or can't continue to cut large checks. And so we'll do what everybody else in this space does <laughs> that we don't really know about is work together. And, and so we created Queens, I mean, uh, Broad Street Ventures, which is a venture capital uh, fund that's a uh, $10 million fund that's all the investors are black and brown, most of which are athletes and entertainers and are run, managed completely by black and brown people, Rolanda Johnson being uh, one of the general partners. And so now we're able to take our money together, put it next to the people who are already making money and, and tap into that you know, to those, those deals. And we're talking about deals like Airbnb, Zenwater, the top deals out there that, you know, all of the top venture venture capital funds are making money off of. We can put our money next to that because we have one thing that the majority of people don't have. And that's social capital. It's good for people to want to say, Hey, our investors are these NFL players or these athletes or these entertainers. So it's very easy for us to get access to it, especially when we come collectively. Yeah, I think it's again, it's those same 
you know, lessons that I'm learning, you know, can be pushed down to the next generation. Not everybody's going to grow up and be an athlete or entertainer, but those lessons are crucial for our, you know, community to, to have impact. It's like, we can change as many laws as we want, but if we don't start to change the dynamics of wealth in this country, then not much is going to change from a power dynamic. And, um, and what that is, is hopefully people are starting to realize that group economics is the number one tool to grow any kind of wealth, especially when you don't have a lot of capital. It mitigates your risks and you and working together. Uh, when it doesn't work, it's less risk on everybody, but also you get you can grow faster than trying to do it individually. So you in so I need to get all my homies together that are on TV and we take all our capital and the way that we make sure it mitigates our risk, like we put, we come together. That's our group. That's our power right there. And that's how we invest. I'm just, I'm giving, I'm translating because you're giving me my education as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, for me, I can, you know, if you say I'm going to take $100,000 and invest that, well, the deals that we like, they're asking for $50,000 checks. That means I'm only able to invest in two of them, you know, at my budget. But all of a sudden, 10 of us come together. And now we can invest in, you know, 10 times as many companies It's more likely that we'll actually get our return back because you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. And then, and, and then back to the foundation piece of it, it's, it's really just pushing those lessons down uh, to the next generation, whether it's, you know, financial literacy, it's, you know, understanding uh, non-traditional um, jobs, like going into the workforce, not just to go to school get to a job that's not going to cover your student loans and then work till retirement and have nothing, you know, for it. It's like, how do you, how do you go into it and be a creator? How are, you know, especially people who love football. I'm like, look at all the jobs around the sport that aren't on the field from the officiating to the science, to the production, to the journalists, to the, the graphic designs. There's so many other creative things around the sport. Um, that oftentimes we don't talk to our kids about, right? We talk to them about being on the field and if they can't be on the field, it's like, ah, you know, he's going to be a doctor, a lawyer or something else. It's so many other things that like, that are, that, uh, this new generation has a creative eye for They're already intuitive with it. They, this TikTok and all these things, they're creating content creators at a very young age. So they have to really start to see these things as avenues for entrepreneurship. Um, and they need those examples. I would always say this, and I didn't know where I would get it from, but I'd like bet on myself, bet on myself, bet on myself. I would just tell myself often, I'm always going to bet on myself, meaning at the end of the day, all I have is me to make it happen. I'm not going to rely on someone else. I'm not going to put my my failures or my success on anyone else. It's solely my responsibility to change the environment, the world in which I live and work in, if that is what I want to see different, right? So if you want to see something different, if you want to have more money, if you want to have more access, it's up to you. You cannot put that pressure on anybody. No agent, no no football franchise in Malcolm's case. No one can do it but you. So I talked to him about all these ideas that he has in his mind and how they're executed. And he has a really simple philosophy. I tell as many guys this as I can when they start to ask, like, okay, how are you doing all of these things? Is because, you know, you, so many people are going to make money off of you, right? And, and they're going to ask you to invest in their stuff so that they can build their companies and their infrastructure. 
to make them more money. And it's like, as an athlete or anybody with a high net worth, you hit the lottery tomorrow. If you don't invest into your infrastructure around you, then the only place, then the only, you know, as far as you can go, your ceiling is based off of your own strength and expertise. And I don't know about everybody else, but like my strength and expertise up until, up until probably recently is in football. Like I never had a job anywhere else, never had an internship anywhere else. So how can I expect to take the money that I've made and then flip that and some and become a you know crazy you know sad business savvy person? Oh, I gotta I gotta invest in people around me who are smarter than me in different areas. And so Malcolm Mink is all you know people I grew up with who I look who look like me who are in their own professional fields who were making money for other corporations. And I said, nah, let's do this together. Let's come together. All of us have some ownership in, in what we're doing. And you can do exactly what you've been doing for these companies for us. And let's build it for us like that. And when I did that, it just exponentially grew my vision for what we could even accomplish. Right. If I told you it, I can go around a locker room right now and or go through the parking lot of a locker room right now and see a ton of cars over a hundred thousand dollars. Yet I ask you to invest 50 into something that's going to make you more. And it's, ah, ah, I don't know. Or you can hear, you can have a, an advisor who's white who come tell you this is a great deal and you'll blindly put your money with it because they're white. And, and, a conveyor belt tells you they know what they're doing and we can do and then there's a whole documentary on how many players have lost their money due to bad investments somebody not doing due diligence getting stolen from right and it's it's because you lack the infrastructure and so if you're going to spend the money anywhere invest it into your own self like bet on yourself and the people around you malcolm jenkins safety for the new orleans saints will be back on naked in a minute every champion and carry champions to be a champion a champion and carry champion and carry champion a champion and carry champion and carry champion greatest greatest in sports and entertainment connected with are you all about the nba action you got to try pick six the newest fantasy app from DraftKings, an official partner of the nba right now new customers can earn a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 in pick six credits when you deposit five dollars or more Getting started is simple. Just download the DraftKings Pick 6 app and sign up with code TBE. Pick at least two players and choose if they'll have more or less of a stat. Like, will they score more or less than 30 points? Or have more or less than eight assists? Lock them in and compete against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now and get started with code TBE. New customers can earn a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 in Pick 6 credits when you deposit $5 or more. Only on DraftKings Pick 6 with code TBE. The crown is yours. One offer per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit to receive a match of up to $100 in Pick 6 credits. Non-withdrawable and valid for Pick 6 use only. Expire after 180 days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick 6 states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more 
and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world to bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Hey, everybody. Thank you for hanging out with us. I had to pay some bills. You know, it is the holidays. I want to buy some Christmas presents. Um, But without further ado, here's more from Malcolm Jenkins. So not only is Malcolm really um, aware financially of the responsibility and obviously the the key part of being a philanthropist and giving back to your community, but he is, as I mentioned earlier, I call him an activist, but he doesn't prefer that word, which I get. Um, Being activated is more so the word for him, an advocate, if you will. And and I was really curious as to when this became, you know, a part of his life, sincerely a part of his life and something he wanted to participate in. Well, he started early, you know, his first year, which was 2010 in the league, he started a foundation, right? He and his mother started a foundation to give back in the community. The next year, he started talking about gun violence in New Orleans and making sure that that was really a focus in the community and trying to lend his name and his voice to causes that were trying to stop gun violence. But a key moment, a watershed moment for many athletes in, in America in its in itself, right, is 2016. And I'm sure you all may remember Alton Sterling, Philando Castile were shot and killed by police officers. Philando Castile's murder was on Facebook. It was it was brutal. And I never, ever forget how that changed the course of direction for myself. So I can only imagine what it felt like for Malcolm. And he says that's the same year that Colin Kaepernick decided to sit, then kneel during the national anthem. And that put a lot of players in the position to either join him or not. And according to Malcolm, he was like, he found himself in a place where he was prepared to step up. Enough is enough. And usually that's what it takes, right? Something so jarring that enough is enough. I mean, a lot of the the activists in in Philadelphia that I work with, those grassroots type of organizations that literally, I consider activists are people who dedicate their entire lives um, to the fight, right? And I'm like, I'm an athlete. I don't live off of the movement. But for me, I think I'm, uh, I've dedicated my life to be an advocate about, you know, for those same things to support those people who are doing the work to add my voice 
and to help amplify, you know, this entire movement towards equity, uh, especially the agenda of, of raising, you know, the, the quality of life for black people. Like that's, you know, and if, and if the things that I do, you know, if you can consider that activist, then, then yes, but it's not one that I like to throw on myself. It, it's, it's a little uncomfortable because I respect there's a, there's a grind to be an activist. Like nobody who's truly an activist actually wants to be one. It's done out of it's done out of a a deep, sincere love for your community or your people, and it comes with a great sacrifice. Um, and and I've only really been in that space for you know, less than a decade. And like I said, there's people who have been in it their entire lives, and you can start to see the wear on people, like the stress. And so I understand. Yeah, I understand what it's like. Then to, you know, my role is different than that. And so it's hard for me to, to really wear that cape sometimes. I still wonder, you know, why my voice is important. But I don't let that, I don't confuse that with believing that my voice is not important because I do know that it is. Uh, I don't necessarily understand why sometimes or what makes me different uh, besides my willingness to speak. Um, but... You know, so when when those opportunities come, I understand that that, that my voice and my presence of you know, people like me adds so much more attention to the the cause. The people who are doing the work are invigorated because they feel like people are appreciated. And, you know, they, like activists, that is a thankless job. Like they don't get enough thank yous or praise or support. So to have people like me come and validate these issues means a lot. It means a lot to Mark Arbor's family that they that you have advocates that look like you that are that could be doing anything else that could be living a good life that are still taking time to to say no no we're a collective and this is important also to me here's what's interesting um because we all have jobs right <laughs> unless you're independently wealthy or or quite frankly you all can be entrepreneurs you can people work for you but hopefully this isn't the case but when you work for someone that you are not morally aligned with when you work for someone and you know, they don't appreciate your contributions when you work for someone and they are blatantly racist or some form of ist elitist, uh, some form of sexist, all the ist, right? How do you reconcile your relationship with your employer? Uh, knowing that you're working for them, making them money and then not really being appreciated. You know, who's up next is the mentality. I say that to say Malcolm works for the NFL. The NFL's history with its players, with racism, um, is ugly, it's long, it's it's well-documented, um, and, and there are probably things in which we just do not know. And 2016 was really, truly um, a year in which athletes felt like they could not say how they, even now, currently feel about the NFL. Uh, Taking a knee was written down by bosses and employers, and there would be quiet retaliation for standing up for what is right. How do you work and deal in an organization that way? That was my question for Malcolm. And he makes it plain, but it takes someone to have a different train of thought to really see 
the upside of all of this. And I mean, it goes without saying, obviously, I go to work every day to get money. That's how I do it. I'm making millions of dollars. You know, the right will say, oh, it's because they're millionaires. They need to just shut up and and get their millions. But it's more than that, right? It really, truly is more. And Malcolm explains it so well. Well, I, I look at it for what it is. I can look at the players in the league over the last, since really 2016, since Colin first took a knee. Uh, I've been really proud of the engagement that players have taken upon themselves to do, to educate themselves, to put themselves in their community, to to uh, advocate you know, not only just kind of the social media things, but, you know, policy changes, uh, you know, doing everything from COVID support all the way to uh, trying to close the digital divide in black and brown communities. Like the players to me um, have always been at the forefront of it and, and continue to be kind of the ones pushing the the narrative forward. I think the NFL to me is falling in line really with kind of the, the mainstream America is doing. It's everybody's getting away with the pageantry of it all. If I can put a banner here or a flag here to say, Hey, I support you. Then then it appeases kind of that that public appetite to to see who's in the fight, um, but but we stop at looking at well, what are your real practices, right? What is what is the diversity in your board look like? The diversity of your decision makers look like? Because if there's one thing I know about football, it's it's how to create a culture. We talk about it all the time, you know, the culture of a locker room. And whenever you have a bad culture in a locker room the first thing that they do is they change the leadership of the locker room, whether it's the captains or the coach. Um, and that's how you, that's how you change over uh, a culture. And if you look at the, the leaders of the NFL, all their decision makers, nobody's changed. And so how, do, how is that? At what point did you guys change your mind about who you were, or did you just do what the public asks to get us off your back? And I think, that's but that's not just the NFL, right? That's we see it in. I did so many Zoom calls in 2020 just to speak about diversity and inclusion. You know, the problem with the NFL in particular, we talk about players against the the ownership of the league. Um, is really one of those things where it, it, there has to be a, a like a mental liberation before there could ever be a change of a change of power. Like players, so so everything is stacked up against players. So it's just just a simple like organizing is a very hard thing to do. That's really the hardest part about act the being like an activist is being able to organize enough people to change the status quo. And what happens in our league? I'm I'm 13 years in. I I'm like, I don't know how many other people are have been in the league that long. The average career is less than three years. So you constantly got new players coming in. And when you're in a state of survival, then you're oftentimes not thinking about the collective. And so when we start making decisions, we saw it in the last CBA. You've got like 30% or 30% of the guys are probably not going to vote or be or participate in what's going on. Then you got some, some that are fighting for the collective and then others who are just there to get their checks and like the status quo because they're doing good. So you got to, we're, we're 2000 players trying to organize against 32 billionaires. It's not going to change unless again, there is a change in the mentality of the athlete, unless the athletes are more financially stable or know better or come from, you know, understanding these lessons early on and not when they come out of college 
you get a million dollar check and, you know, are now supposed to know what to do with it. Uh, so the biggest thing is like, okay, how do we get to these athletes earlier and teach them that you are the product, which means that you're the game. And like, like football players, they argue about uh, guaranteed contracts all the time. They look, the NBA has fully guaranteed contracts. Yes, they do. It's not in their collective bargaining agreement, which means that the, the NFLPA, DeMore Smith or nobody like that, they didn't go fight for that. You have free agent players that all called each other and said, we're not signing any deals this offseason unless we get. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is it, to me is two different things is one, understand how like every athlete is on a conveyor belt and understand how. As you pass along this conveyor belt in your career, how do people make money off of you? Because once you realize how much money people make off of you, then you can understand your worth, right? You don't, you don't, you don't understand your worth until you understand how much money you make in somebody else. And so once you get that, it's like, okay, then the next step is how to have more ownership in whatever it is you do. So whether it's, and, and, and in a collective way, to me, it's all about collect uh, a group economics. Like, how do we do this together? Who are people that look like me that are in my same situation that are making money? And how do I put my money next to theirs? Because because when you look at the top, you know, the, these rich white men that are making money on stacks and stacks and stacks, they all do business together. We're athletes like it's times where we feel like we got to compete. It's like competing is only for the field. <laughs> when you step off the field, like we just part of an entire collective. Being a collective is arguably the most important thing that we can do as a community. There is strength in numbers. I can give you every single cliche about how it's more powerful to move together than separately. Why that is such a difficult um, concept for us to execute as Black folks. I don't understand, but I do like the idea of it all. Imagine if every single NFL player, and we're not even talking about, look, it doesn't even have to be um, the white players, right? If every black player decided to kneel and wouldn't go back on the field until Colin Kaepernick got a job, he'd be working. Um, If the cause was so near and dear to you, and even not every single one, the majority, but there is this fear. Let's just say it. There's a fear in the community. It's a fear that is in our DNA because of how we were brought here to this country. Um, this fear is I'm not going to keep my money. I won't have the money. I was already poor. I don't want to go back to being poor. There's a fear that permeates existence for a lot of these athletes, which is totally understandable. But what Malcolm is saying, I think, is genius. He is saying. If we work together, we're more powerful. If we put our money together, we're more powerful. And more importantly, if we change our mindset, it's not just about competing on the field. Let's compete at this game of life and make money in the process. Let's make money together. Let's put all of our money together and we will be powerful. And to me, the thought of that, the imagery, the idea, it makes me hopeful. It makes me hopeful. Whether we can get it done, I'm a little hesitant, right? (laughs) I got to be honest, but it makes me hopeful. Imagine all these athletes working together, using their power, getting things done that they want to be done. One of the most impactful things that Malcolm mentioned is, you know your worth when you realize how much money you're making someone else. 
these guys are making these owners, these owners of franchises, billionaires with a B, plural billions. These athletes are truly the commodity, but they're only getting a fraction, a small fraction of what these billionaire owners are making off of them. It's the way it's been designed. That is society. That is the way, the world in which we live currently. We're all these worker bees and we're thinking we're making so much money. But just imagine if your boss can pay you that, what are they making off of you? <laughs> which is why, I, a side note, I remember, may he rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, when he, at that very last Laker deal, and maybe it was like $40 million before the new TV rights deals came and you started getting these $200 million deals like Steph Curry. Kobe maybe got 40 some odd million dollars for his last two years as a Laker. And I remember they were like, you bankrupt the team. What are you doing? We're not going to be able to get any players. And Kobe was like, are you kidding me? This is a business. Do you know how much money I've made these people since I was 18 as a Los Angeles Laker? How much money has the NBA made off of me with my jersey sales? Get out of here. $40 million. You're welcome. That's a deal. That's a bargain. And I remember people were giving him such a hard time. And he said, come on. He knew new TV deals were coming, right? And with these new TV deals, you got to pay these owners and you pay these franchises. So you got to pay the money. You have to pay the players. The money just trickles down, right? And Malcolm is saying, know your worth. Work together. These players unions are sometimes, you know, a farce because nobody's unified. They just want their money because they think in the wrong way. And at the end of the day, you all have the power. We all have the power. I mentioned this earlier, internal power. With Malcolm's power, he is doing something that I also think is new and innovative and extremely intimidating. And I wish I could have somebody walk me through the process because I want to do it. So Malcolm, congratulations to him, released three non-fundable tokens to represent different moments in his career. Uh, So these are NFTs, guys. You know about them. And Malcolm, for for all his his work in the community, he is still, as mentioned, about making that money. Uh, most recently, he introduced three NFTs, right? And you all know what NFTs are. So many, and this world is different. Crypto, talk to me about anything, any cryptocurrency, all of that. I'm like, what, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but he is thinking ahead of the game. I don't know if you all remember this. There were two other NFL players who got into the NFT space. I think it was Rob Gronkowski and uh, Patrick Mahomes. And it's interesting because I don't know what it means, but they're getting good advice from other people. So Malcolm, congratulations. He has three NFTs and they're very artistic and they pretty much uh, portray impactful moments in his life, right? As an NFL player. So winning a Super Bowl when he was in Philly, uh, his his work with social justice, as we just described, uh, are all documented and illustrated in his NFTs. And I'm really, really um, proud of him for jumping into the space because I I was told this is where the money is. He probably gonna own an NFL team sooner than later. He's doing it right. He probably don't even wanna tell us that secret, but that's his secret. Meanwhile, um, as we wrap up this podcast, I will leave you with some wisdom and Malcolm talking about why he decided to get into the NFT space. Now I gotta encourage you all, This crypto situation is real. At your girl and tell me if y'all involved. Help me. Help me get some change. Help me get some change. Help me get some change. (laughs) 
Thank y'all for listening to Naked. Here's Malcolm on NFTs. Yeah. So one of the things I was talking about, uh, kind of being able to explore a more creative side of me, uh, when I started to see like really uh, the top of the year, those NFTs really starting to pop off the whole crypto space. Uh, and you look at it, it's like, okay, this is, this is cool. I didn't want to do something that was just, you know, slap my name on a on car, throw it out there. I'm like, I want to do something thoughtful, you know, and a little bit more artistic and, and tap into a little bit of uh, a creative uh, vibe. And you look at like, to me, the, the interesting thing about NFTs are that, it's a way to really cement a, uh, a thought, a piece of art um, that lasts like forever. So I'm like, how do I, how do I mint my legacy, right? And the things that I've done. And so those, some of those were my favorite memories from when I was in the Eagles. So some of the things with that, that journey with the Super Bowl, um, as well as you know my legacy um, with social activism. Uh, in the context of sports and being able to lock that into uh, an NFT. That's a piece of art that people can, can, you know, uh, share and be a part of that. My personal memory. So I put a lot of like my personal photos and, and, and kind of uh, thoughts to it, work with two artists. Um, one is so legit from here and another guy named Dimes from uh, London that put together a little collection of uh, NFTs that are available on OpenSea, which is the largest uh, distributor of NFTs out there. Uh, so I'm excited. You know, I want people to really um, feel like they got a piece of me. Just got to see my creative side um, and put something into the world that's that, that has nothing uh, that's not on the field, but, you know, in an NFT. <laughs> when you saw Gronk and I think... Um, Patrick Mahomes were kind of the first two in the NFL to really be out there. But what it, what it showed to me from a business model standpoint, and you see it now with a lot of digital artists, why they're so excited about the space is because, you know, now most athletes, again, conveyor belt, you, everybody else, you only get a part of your likeness. So somebody else takes a picture of you, like, they tell you to come to a place and they pay you to sign the picture and then they sell it for way more. Like you're just the middleman. Like, Hey, come give us your signature. They might cut you a $30,000 check, but you're going to sign a thousand autographs and they're going to go make a hundred thousand off of your name. The picture, the picture is of you. The signature is yours. Yet they're making the most off of you because they're a middleman. This type of uh, situation cuts all of that out. You own your likeness and you're able to give it directly to a fan base, di directly to a consumer. And that changes the business model for athletes and for or entertainers or, or graphic artists. And I'm like, that really is what, what drew me to the space. And then when I'm really looking at, okay, well, how do I want to enter the space? I like art. And so I like, I want to do this in an artistic expression to really cement my own legacy and give it directly to the people who care. And that's, you know, those consumers are fans. And that's what I really love about this NFT space. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. 
Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. 